Hello, hello. Hello. That was loud. Oh, did you look at the? I did. Did you look at the thing? I didn't. I didn't. I'm sorry. I completely forgot. Did you look at the red? We spoke about this last week. I did. I didn't. And welcome to the New York Mystery Machine. Tony Hall, but for ghosts. You know, what would say to yourself, self? Maybe instead of screaming it off mic, I just go sensible. Tammy Hall, There's but for no ghosts. There's no fun in that. Where's the charm? Where's the romance? There's no romance in it. Where's the charm? <laughs> There's no charm in it. Well, welcome to the show, everyone. We're so excited to be back with you all. Last week, we introduced the new member to our team, our new soundbox. Her name uh, is Scarlett. Her name is Scarlett. We love her so much. We got her from from the 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 gracious uh, actions and and financial donations of our amazing patrons, and so we're so excited um, to record our next our second episode with this amazing new piece of machinery, and. Look to the future of the show, which needs some more equipment, <laughs> because like that one piece that broke a few weeks ago, other stuff is going to It's start. all a ticking time. <laughs> I'm not sure if you remember. We first asked people to donate to the Patreon, and the ad we used was my headphones with all the duct tape on it. Those are still the headphones I'm currently <laughs> using. So... If you would like to help get some new headphones for the show, some new microphones for the show, the best way of doing that is heading over to our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash nymysterymachine for as low as $3 a month. You join a community for as little as $5 a month. You get a Patreon-exclusive episode. And they go all the way up to our premium level. And speaking, speaking of, premium. of our premium level, last week we said that a friend of the show dear friend of our lives, Christian Lee Branch, joined our premium top level through our December sale. And through the work of mysteries, knocked on my door today before we started <laughs> recording. So I thought, why not have a little little fun, a little bit of a live show for one of our patrons, which is not something we won't do for any of you other patrons. It's true. If you give us the money. And you show up in New York. And you show up in New York. Just not coming come, to you, sweetie. Come to the studio and we'll, and you can just watch the show happen. But we do want to welcome Christian to, to the show. Woo! Hello, hello, hello. How's everybody doing? It's so funny. We said, we, we had said um, as well, we got this new thing and the old sound box had four ports and this new sound box only has two ports and, and we're like it's said, fine it's we're, fine. Ne- we're never gonna like record live with a person us. and then the next like a week and a half later christian brown shows up but Can we get a splitter like like when people not that anyone ever did this because it's illegal used to split cables like cable know. back in the day i don't know science enough or technology enough but i'm sure we do. <laughs> i'm sure we do um but anyway christian's gonna sit in with us it'll be nice and uh Pretty excited. Little, little treat. Little, little, little treat. treat. Little, little Christian treat. has a little treat. <laughs> little Christian has a little treat. But we're so happy to have you in the studio, Christian, uh, for this for this fun little episode that we'll be doing. Uh, I think it's another murder. This, it this is a murder. We start. We give you back to back murders. A lot of murders. Week, which is rarely that we ever do that. But you know what happened? It's a strong this month? start to the year. What but, what way to start off 2023? But with a whole lot of fucking murder. But do you know do you know why that happened this year, you guys? It's because um, Christian and I did not check in about no. our episode. We both finished our episodes, and last week, before the sound box broke, um, <laughs> like two days before, we were like, oh no, the, the day of, I think. Day of. I was like, hey, bye, bye and bye, what's your episode? And she's like, oh, it's murder. I'm like, oh shit. Mine's murder, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, look out for some similarities between our back-to-back murders while you're <laughs> yes, at it. We, did. we didn't clear any po- And at, even after the the box broke, and we were aware that they were murders. We did not you, we discuss you think our that episodes. We would have spent that day doing the work and figuring out what our episodes were nope. about. But instead, I just sat there sad, 
then we like fi- making sure we had enough money <laughs> and yep. then purchasing the new sound box. But isn't she great? Isn't she lovely? Christina, I, you know, I'll let Christian ask the question I always ask. Where are we today? Ooh, what a good question, Christian. <laughs> we are in Queens. Um, we are in Queens, Queens Village, New York. Um, Thanks. I love that. Like, Christina went from, like, doing no episodes about Queens and only just bragging about Queens to being like, well, Queens is not that great. People get murdered all the time. Well, okay. You know what? You After my telling you about how it's the most linguistically and ethnically diverse spot on the planet, um, you pointed out that we never talk about Queens, and I said it's just too peaceful, and you scoffed. Um, so and now then, I'm and trying And right to- after that, you came out with two full episode murders and a patron-exclusive murder episode. You know, I'm... I'm I, it, took a lot of work to find how you know the, the underbelly that is Queens. tell us the story christina march 20th 1927 that is the crux of our the crux of today's episode um that is the night that according to ruth brown snyder um that she went to bed and was awoken when two giant italians quote unquote broke into her home knocked her out and when she awoke her husband albert was dead <laughs> i can't I can't stop laughing. I'm so sorry to Ruth and her husband. But how does she know they're Italian? <laughs> when they're like, oh, hey! Hey! <laughs> hey, hold on to my gabagoo. I got to murder this guy. I just want the spicy meatball. Hey, your jewelry. I hope my mom doesn't sit up. Because Christina and I are both Italian. Yes. So we're clearly allowed to make fun of our people. Um, <laughs> I hope my mom doesn't listen to Because if it's the one my mom listens to, she'll, be, she'll immediately call me and be like, but why you got to be so mean? Why do you got, like, we're, we're trying as a people to avoid the stereotypes, <laughs> and all you do is talk about this and that and make, and say gabagool and, uh. <laughs> LaGuardia, he says, hey, pizza. <laughs> That's my Italian for you. Uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, what exactly happened? Um, so we're going to back up. We're going to discuss who, who these poor victims are. Um, Albert Schneider, born Albert Schneider, to a large German family in 1882. Um, his father, Charles, ran a bakery on Grand Street in Williamsburg. Wait, what year is this? Well, he was born in 1882. Okay, so never we mind. Ba- we backed up to talk about the victim. Oh, Albert. yeah. I was like, do I know this bakery? I, but You know, it does make me want to go look it up, though, and when, you know. Do they have the address? I probably could get the address. We're going to find the address. We're going to see if there's a bakery. Because you know why? There is a, on Grand Street in Williamsburg, Near where I live, there is a storefront with an old, old bakery like mm. storefront on it. And I that... wonder if that maybe wasn't his bakery, but like was like the remnants of someone else who bought that bakery. Because the people would do that, people would like close business yeah. and reopen the same business there because of the equipment's there. And there is like an I always pass it, and there's this like it's not a bakery anymore, but it's the old signage for a bakery. And so I'm very curious. I'm going to look this up. I'm going to get the exact address for us. And we'll get the information for you, as, as we always do. It's important information. Pertinent. Uh, and so this is where the family, the Schneider family also lived, right above it. Um, eventually, Charles did sell the bakery. So like you're saying, it might have passed to another baker, fingers crossed. Um, but the family moved to a brick house on McDonough Street in bed Albert attended Pratt, where he studied art and graphic design and was employed in a commercial art studio quickly after college. He fell in love with Jessie Gichard, a girl from a nearby family on Decatur Street. Um, Jessie was a teacher at PS 132, and the pair began to go out. 
PS one thirty two. Yeah, that's like the public school that I grew up like near. <laughs> look at look at look at this all happening right around. This right, is a Williamsburg story. This is a Williamsburg story. Don't you dare fake it as a Queen story. Don't worry, the murder happened in Queens, as they do. You the, know, the no, 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 no. The murder happens in no, Queens. No, no, no. Mm. I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna catalog all the murders. That I'm gonna do a tally. Anyway, murder in Williamsburg. We have not covered a single mur- Williamsburg Incorrect. murder. Incorrect. Uh, the uh, the the oh, was it Williamsburg? Hold on, let me think about that. Might have been Bed Stuy. Last year's Valentine's. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. There's plenty of murder in Williamsburg. I'm sure. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. All I'm gonna do going forward is Williamsburg-based murders, just to prove a point. <clears throat> Sorry, this went down a weird path. <laughs> so we don't know for sure whether. <laughs> Whether Jesse and Albert were properly engaged, but that's the general impression we are left with. Albert was at her side when Jesse died at age 30 of pneumonia in November of 1912, and he never truly recovered from that loss. He uh, he wore a pin every day with the initials JG for the rest of his life. By age 32, however, in 1914, Albert was pursuing Ruth Brown. Now, Ruth was 23 at the time, though she claimed she was all of 19. Ruth's father, Harry Brown, was a Norwegian immigrant, and her mother, Josephine Anderson, was a Swedish immigrant. The family lived, when Ruth was growing up, in Upper Manhattan along Morningside Avenue. They eventually rented a place on West 138th Street, which, according to Landis McKellar, who uh, wrote a book about today's case, was, quote, a neighborhood of rolling meadows in the days when the City College of New York was only a proposal. Ruth eventually became a telephone operator and then held various other office jobs. She was tall, blonde, had high cheekbones and blue eyes, and a chance misdialed number is what finally brought Ruth into Albert's life and vice versa. They were married in the uh, Brown family apartment on July 24th, 1915, and soon after they rented a house in Bay Ridge. Now, Ruth really, really, really wanted children. Albert uh, did not. She had a medical condition that prevented her from having kids, but had a minor operation without Albert's knowledge um, in order to fix whatever the malady was, and she was pregnant within two years. And that's how their daughter Lorraine was born. In 1923, the family moved into their home in Queens Manor, a housing development in the newly constructed area of Queens Village. Um, And Jessie, Albert's first love, was ever present. A large formal photograph of her hung above their bed. Kristen is reacting to this. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Who does that? Yeah, yeah, she was just... The dead love of your life? Is hanging over the bed of you and your wife. Like prominently. <laughs> like I get having a photograph in your home, right? You know. It's like when people come over and like do sex things, they're like, hey, who's that? <sighs> the love of my life. No one will ever please me the way he did. Yeah. Yep. 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 <laughs> we love naked portraits here on the show. Hey, has anyone found those naked portraits yet? I, I would love, I would love if someone did. That, that was, that, that's a few episodes back. If you haven't listened, go back to the log. Um, so things deteriorate. Go figure. Um, and Albert ends up a very heavy drinker. Things go from bad to worse. Now, according to Ruth, um, the night in question, March 20th, 1927, she and Albert had come home from playing bridge at about 2 a.m. Albert dropped Ruth and their daughter Lorraine off and then put the car in the garage. Ruth left the front door open for him. Albert, feeling the effects of alcohol, went to 
go to sleep. And a little bit later, Ruth went to check on a sound she heard in the hallway. According to Ruth, a man appeared, dragged her into a room, and she thought she heard another person calling up to him. These are the uh, two giant Italians. Um, how we know they are giant Italians is unclear to me. She does not, uh, to my knowledge, we n- never clears that up. I guess, I don't know. They talked about the gabagool. Um, <laughs> she was hit on the head and awoke five hours later. Um, and at that point, she found herself to be gagged and tied. She managed to get the gag out of her mouth and shouted for Lorraine to wake up. And Lorraine called a neighbor for help. The house was in a state of utter disarray. The sofa cushions were all over the place. The pots and the pans were out of the cupboards. Dressers were emptied. Clothes were on the floor. In the master bedroom where Albert Snyder had been found dead. And for the record, I mentioned earlier that he was born Schneider. Ruth apparently made him change his name to Snyder. Reasons unknown. But it goes to show that there are... Reasons they're... of racism. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they find Albert dead in the master bedroom. Um his gold watch and chain is still there but his wallet is empty now oh maybe this is how they know they're italians i forgot about this there were italian newspaper pieces on the floor near the bed downstairs there was a full glass of whiskey and a half-smoked cigarette but ruth didn't smoke and albert only smoked cigars then there's the actual body of albert snyder he was found under a pile of sheets and blankets in the master bedroom Um, There were various minor cuts and abrasions about the head and neck. His hands were tied behind his back and his ankles were tied with a necktie. There was a what they call picture wire, which I don't really understand what that is, but some sort of wire around his neck. Oh, it's probably the like on the back of pictures that. Okay, like a picture frame like you hang it with. It's actually like a like I honestly I only say that because when I was hanging you were in the studio now and when I was hanging that um, that frame, it comes with a very actually if you look in the back of this guy, it has that very... Oh, you're right. That's a sturdy wire. It's sturdy. It's actually really sharp. And like when it's broken, it's like a little serrated as well. Oh, okay. So, All yeah, right. That's ex- so I, this is... I'm positive that's exactly what that is. What that, what okay. So that's what, that's what they... So there was this picture wire tight around his neck sort of like digging into the skin. So that makes... I'll, t- I'll, I'll take a picture and like share on social media. And if I'm wrong, say, oh, you're wrong, Adam. But I'm pretty sure that's what they mean by that. Ma- that. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um... And there was also a cloth stuffed in his mouth, and uh, it's clear that he was dead of strangulation. There was like a a pad of some kind wrapped in a handkerchief that had been doused in chloroform nearby as well. And on the bed was a thirty-eight caliber pistol still loaded with three rounds, and there were three cartridges on the floor. Apparently, there had been some burglary in the year in the area in the year prior, um, which is why Albert had purchased this gun and had kept it under his pillow. Under the pillow was more wire. Um, with a gold pencil attached. I, For the record, I'd never find out why there's a gold pencil attached to it. Very confusing to me. But they mentioned it, so here we are. Am I the only person who gets terrified at the thought of keeping a, a loaded gun under your pillow? No, that sounds terrible. And it's not the first time we've heard that on the show. It's not the first time I've heard that like in like art and life and stuff. Just like, is no one afraid? That's going to go off in the night. That like, I'm a weird sleeper. Same. And I don't want to shoot my head off accidentally. Right. Yeah, I feel like, I feel like the number of times like my hands go under the pillow, like I would absolutely be the person to shoot myself accidentally. I'd be the person to shoot myself accidentally. <laughs> That's me. Um. So as for Ruth, the doctors could find no evidence of a hit over the head, though she claimed that that's what happened—that she was hit over the head and knocked out. Um. 
the suggestion was perhaps she'd been frightened into unconsciousness, but could that really have happened for five hours? Um, but that's what she insisted on. Her wrists showed no real evidence of struggling to escape the the theoretically tight ties, um, and there were no bruises from the ordeal. And apparently when the neighbor responded to Lorraine's call for help and they found Ruth, her hands were already free, but her ankles were loosely tied. So, you know, why didn't she just take off the, the tie around her ankle? Mm. Lorraine, for her part, had mm. had heard nothing from the time she fell asleep after the party until later that morning when she heard her mother calling the hallway for help. And at no point between this early morning kerfuffle and the arrival of the NYC police commissioner, George McLaughlin, did Ruth ask about her husband or his well-being. She shed a few tears when she learned about his death, however, from the commissioner. Adam, Christian, first impressions. It's Ruth. Yeah. <laughs> Which is so sad because I just had a whole conversation with someone about how I love the name Ruth. Mm. What a great name Ruth is. And now it's ruined forever. That's ruined forever. <laughs> you dumb murderer. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, it just makes no sense. Like, come on, lady. Mm-hmm. You killed your You husband. gotta make it believable! <laughs> exactly. Like, you should have at least kept both things on your wrists and ankles. Like, right? Don't... Knock yourself out. Exactly. Do something. Do something. Make it more believable. Yeah. So the, the investigators are like real suspicious at this point um, because there are all these inconsistencies and there's like a billion more. I mean, for uh, like some of the other things that came up were like, you know, clearly the house is in disarray. The the assumption is this has to do with a burg like this meant to look like a burglary. But um, the they you know even though albert's money is gone from his wallet his gold watch and platinum chain are still there so like if you're a like you just murdered him you're in that room like if you're really there to burglarize wouldn't you take the clearly extremely valuable thing so it's it's really shoddy work all around (laughs) uh and per the book the Double Indemnity Murder by Landis McKellar. Um, quote, the thoroughness with which the house had been searched was itself suspicious. Time is the essence of the housebreaker's art. The burglar knows what he wants, knows where it is likely to be kept, goes after it and leaves. No thief, however meticulous, would bother to search beneath sofa cushions and empty out kitchen cabinets. Um, and then, of course, there's that, you know, the cigarette being smoked and the glass of whiskey, like, what 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 two Italians breaking into your house are going to really take that kind of time? Um, and then there's the issue of Lorraine. Why was her room alone left untouched, right? Why are the burglars being so generous to be like, no, we can't wake up the girl. Don't want to wake her up. Don't don't wake her up. This this guy. This guy. This, this guy's gotta go. Gotta go. Um. So, you know. It, it's it's not looking great. Um, Ruth also insisted her jewelry was missing, but those were found in a rag underneath the mattress of her bed. So what what burglar's gonna you know r- carefully wrap up the jewelry and hide it? <laughs> um, when asked how the burglars could have gotten in, Ruth suggested that they had used a skeleton key and pushed open the kitchen door. And indeed, a key was found in the kitchen three feet from the door. And in such a way that when the police were experimenting with how it could have ended up there, the only solution was that it had been planted. Like they put it in the door and like mimicked pushing it out. And every time it dropped right to the bottom of the door, not three feet into the kitchen. So um, as they continued to investigate the house, they turned up a pad with numerous names and the police asked Ruth about the names on the list. At one in particular, she suddenly became very flustered, turning red and stuttering a little. H. Judd Gray of 37 Wayne Avenue, East Orange, New Jersey. There were also several council checks made to H. Judd Gray um, that were found. So 
over the course of this investigation, it became clear that Albert was a pretty well-insured man. Various cancel checks um, were located that had been made out to the Prudential Life Insurance Company. And while at first Ruth claimed that Albert was insured for about $1,000, she soon had to admit that at one time it had been $1,000. It was now maybe closer to $25,000, she said. So the police moved on to questioning the partygoers from the bridge game the night prior. Apparently at the party, Ruth had been encouraging Albert to drink while she herself barely drank at all, which is sort of the inverse of what was usually happening at these. Um, and other than that, they seemed on great terms. Um, there was even a quip about how uh, she called Albert some sort of like really endearing, overly saccharine, affectionate name. And he made the comment like, why aren't you like this at home? Um, so like she was laying it on thick that night. Meanwhile, the home life of the couple was also being pieced together. So Lorraine, the, girl, the, the little girl, admitted that her mom and dad fought at times because her mom would, quote, stay out all night. Um, and Ruth admitted that she had been having problems for a few years with her husband, that yes, she stayed out all night on occasion, but that it was only at her cousin's house. Um, and, you know, they were able to quickly clear up that that's, that's not what's happening. Uh, so the cops said that they believed Ruth knew the man who had come into her house in the night. And they wrote the name on a slip of paper and passed it to her. And she admitted, yes, that is the man. It was H. Judd Gray. It wasn't two giant Italians after all. It was Judd Gray all along. Um, and she knew that he could be found at the Hotel Onondaga in Syracuse. So who is H. Judd Gray? Judd Gray, also known as J.G. and H. Judd, was 34 years old, married to his wife Isabel, and they had a daughter, Jane, 10 years old. And as I said, they lived in East Orange, New Jersey. He was a sales rep for the Benjamin and John's company, a ladies' corset and undergar undergarments business. And he'd been traveling upstate for the last two weeks on his regular sales route. Why, yes, he did know Ruth, he said. They'd met two years prior, but he had never met Albert Snyder. And the last he had seen Ruth was when he and she uh, met up with Lorraine at Henry's Restaurant on 35th Street in Manhattan. That was around the beginning of March. He then recounted his last few days since leaving Rochester and checking into the hotel in Syracuse. Confronted with the fact that there were fingerprints all over the house, that the police believed, per Ruth Snyder's testimony, that they would be able to link those prints to J.G., J.G. maintained he had nothing to do with the crime. When they investigated J.G.'s room, however, they found a torn Pullman ticket, uh, a stub for the 8.45 a.m. from New York to Syracuse train on Monday, March 20th. So he definitely had not been in the hotel all night. Um, and they, 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 you know, start to take Judd down to New York City. And on the way down, one of the inspectors casually mentions to Judd that they had the contents of the wastebasket from the hotel. And for the first time, Judd Gray looked serious. What was in the wastebasket, he asked, but got no reply. And then as they pulled into Poughkeepsie, the inspector added, do you know, Judd, that we have the ticket you went back on? To which H. Judd Gray replied, well, gentlemen, I was in that house that night. <laughs> oh, boy. Here's what Judd continued to say, that things were growing more and more unhappy between the Snyders, as we covered earlier, until one day in 1925, while they were having lunch at Henry's, a Swedish restaurant, Ruth was introduced to Judd Gray. And that's where they struck up a correspondence. According to Ruth, Gray sent her a free corset. According to Gray, she sent him a blank check, which he tore up and sent her a sample as a complimentary gift. In either case, they met up again in late July and early August. He ran into Ruth at a mutual friend's party, and they seemed to have gone back to his office that night for, uh, you know, for a moment, just for a moment. And then, bibbity boppity you can imagine what happened next. And they soon became attached to the hip, utterly beside with each other. 
and we'll learn what happens next after the break. One of my very elegant breaks. That was a good, that was a, that was, it was, I didn't even know it's coming. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back after these messages. If you ever look at our logo, you may notice a cute, furry, black and white creature hanging out the window. That's Ted. When he's not hanging out inside the New York Missing Machine, Ted is enjoying treats from BarkBox. BarkBox is the dog-obsessed company that's devoted to one goal, making dogs happy. It's a monthly subscription, totally customized box of themed toys and treats for your furry friends. BarkBox provides the best products, services, and content for pups and their people. Every box brings your dog more than $40 worth of toys and treats. Your first box ships immediately. Plus, BarkBox offers a 100% happy guarantee. If your pup isn't happy with their BarkBox, they'll work to make it right. So are you ready to spoil your pup with a BarkBox of their very own? If so, head over to www.barkbox.com slash nymysterymachine. If you use our exclusive link, you'll get a free extra month of BarkBox, valued at $35, when you sign up for multi-length plans. Oh, okay, okay, Tedward. I'll say it again for them. Head to www.barkbox.com slash nymysterymachine and get your pup some treats today. The New York Mystery Machine is brought to you in part by listeners like you. That's right. Head on over to our Patreon, and for as little as $3 a month, you can help keep the pod growing. By joining, you can access a whole bunch of cool stuff, such as mini-episodes, swag, exclusive playlists, and more. Head to www.patreon.com slash nymysterymachine to find out more and become a patron. That's www.patreon.com slash nymysterymachine and join our ever-growing community today. And we're back. You know what I love so much about that story so far is like the guy, the guy was like, yeah, you got me. Yep. He was just like, there was like, no, like, well, gentlemen, I'm fucked. Yeah. <laughs> Here we are. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Because he apparently like was being flipped. He was smoking a cigarette. They were having a drink on the train. And then they're like, you know, we uh, got the ticket stub. It's like, yeah, okay, I did it. I was in the house. Yep, that was me. Um, So at this point, Judd Gray and Ruth Snyder in custody, they're both looking mighty suspicious. And immediately, both of them are turning on each other. Um both blaming each other for what has happened. So according to Ruth, um, Albert had once threatened to blow her brains out and it was Gray that had said that they should get Snyder, you know, Albert Snyder before he got her. Judd gave Ruth a sash weight. Don't really understand what that is. I think it's some sort of like, um, I am, I'm imagining like the weight that you use to pull back and hold down a curtain, like, like a, like a big old drape, but, um, and that, it was that that they had planned to hit Snyder with on the head. Um, and that the plan was to, you know, hit him on the head, knock him out, use the chloroform. But that never happened. Apparently, both Judd and Ruth panicked and couldn't do it when they initially planned. But then after another fight, one in which, again, Ruth claimed Albert was going to, you know, threaten to kill her. Um, they resolved to do what they had said they would. So the night of the bridge party, Ruth left the kitchen and basement doors unlocked. Gray slipped into the house 
and was hiding in the room that usually Ruth's mother would have been in, but she was away at the time. Very convenient. Um, Gray used the sash weight to knock out the sleeping Albert and then chloroform him. A little later, he finished the job with the wire, strangling him, and then he and Ruth made the entire house look like someone had tried to burglar them, or so they thought. It was a very Um, bad job. I believe you're being very incorrect with how you're phrasing this. Um, Who did they make make it look like burglarized the house? To giant Italians. Thank you. It's very very important to the story. My favorite part is that the, the, the thing that I had forgotten about initially, which is, are those newspaper clippings, the Italian newspaper clippings that they had strewn around the bed, like, ah, yes. <laughs> and then why would he leave? It's so dumb. It's the stupidest thing. Like, tear it. Like, not what? even, like, a full paper. Like, right. Like, oh, there wasn't a full right. paper there. It's, and here's a piece here, and here's a piece here, and here's yeah. a piece here. We were looking at different pieces. Yeah. Why would why would they bring Italian newspapers when they're killing a to burglarize or kill a person? In strips, in strips, right? Like little little like you're saying bits and pieces. It is as stupid as I. I we cover a lot of stuff on this show. <laughs> this is the stupidest thing I've. <laughs> it's like a stupid detail that like 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 the most detailed thing you didn't ever need. It's right. Like, yeah. It's like this is how you get caught. Because yeah. <laughs> you spent your time thinking, all right, let's... Um... They're never going to believe it was an Italian. Hold on. What if we have? <laughs> so so they're like, they don't do the work to like cover all their stuff. Mm-hmm. Like they find the ticket in his hotel room, all these things. But instead of thinking <laughs> of like the most logical things to do, they're like, all right, we really need to make this story work. Are we going to go to the Italians? Let's go to the Italians. Italians, yeah. Big Italians, great. Oh, I don't know what are big Italians, what are they like? <laughs> oh, they like to read from like Italy. They probably want their home news. They want OG today. Because that's what you get. That's what you get. That's what you get in Italy, OG. Let's get the OGs. <laughs> stupidest. It, it is. It's ludicrous. I want to applaud them, but I want to slap them. <laughs> They were like they really were like they wanted to commit to the bit, yeah. But it was the most stupid bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. My favorite is like the 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 glass of whiskey too and the cigarette. Like what burglars gonna be like? Ah, yes. You know that was that was a good murder. I'm going to sit here with my cigarette now. Like it's all around. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That <laughs> were they French? Giant Frenchman. That was a good murder. It was good. Yes. And now I'm going to take my baguettes and my cigarettes. Today's episode is Adam and Christina do the worst accents ever. But we're equal accent um, atrocities here. Like, you give us an accent, we'll ruin it we'll for ruin you. It. Like, we're not trying to make fun of anyone. We just want to see how this bad. This is legitimately the best we could do. We just want to see how bad we are at accents. Which turns out it's very. Very, very, very bad. Oh, boy. Um... So before leaving, Gray apparently tied up Ruth, and then she just got tired of waiting for her daughter because he had laid her in bed tied up, and then she got tired of waiting for her daughter to come find her, so she, like, wriggled out of bed (laughs) and down the hall towards the stairs so that she could more easily shout for Lorraine to wake up. I know know we shouldn't be laughing. It's a murder. I know. But, like, it is the most 1940s film about... A murder, like a like a comedy, like a fake, like it's not a not a, not a drama. It's like a, it's like like those old comedy shows. Mm-hmm. 
is yeah. Laurel and Hardy. Yeah. Talking it's a about ball comedy. It's yeah. so bad. Meanwhile, H. Judd Gray had a, a slightly different version of events. He claimed that he was trying to make Ruth change her mind, insisting not to kill Albert, but it was Ruth who kept insisting on doing it anyway. Gray said that she had tried to poison Albert in the past, um, even had turned on the gas while he was sleeping on the stove. And then he said that she began to try to get him, Gray, involved in the murder. And though he wanted no part in it, her insistence and repeated pleas and pressure finally broke him. Um, he shared how he constructed an alibi, um, you know, getting friends to cover him by saying that he was, you know, visiting an old girlfriend and want his, his wife to know. Um, and on the night of the murder, he was sitting, waiting in the, the, the that spare room, right? The, the mother's, you know, ex- the grandmother's bedroom. Um, and he was like, you know, I can't do this. He was going to leave the house. He wasn't going to do it. And then he was foiled because the Snyders returned home right then. So then he was stuck in the room. Um, And even to the point of, you know, the final deed, right? He he admitted that he, you know, was there, that he helped knock Albert out. But tying the hands and feet of Albert and the strangulation, that was all Ruth, he said. In the end, the biggest difference between the stories was who committed the blows to Albert's head uh, and that would have been enough to probably kill him eventually anyway. The strangulation is what finally did it, but I think the blows were hard enough that he would have eventually died. Um, so what's the motive here? Ruth said that she was threatened by Albert, sure. They're in love, sure. Um, but there has to be something else besides. It's those life insurance checks we mentioned. It seems that after a particularly ugly argument in 1925, apparently Ruth wanted to send Lorraine to a good convent school and Albert had no intention of sending her to a boarding school. Um Ruth became interested in insurance very suddenly. And she began asking Judd Gray, how much do you have? And he said, oh, well, I have about 20000 or so. You know, it's a good investment for a family man. And she remarked that, oh, it's a shame Albert only has 1000 And so a call to the Prudential Life Insurance Company and a meeting with a salesperson later, Albert had been convinced to take out an additional policy, but that he would need more time to think about taking out even larger ones. But at the time, it was just like another $1,000 worth. The insurance guys had to think about it quickly. The rates would only go up as Albert aged. And apparently, he thought about it very quickly because the next day, uh, Ruth called the agent and claimed that Albert decided to take out the much larger policy worth about $50,000 and that Ruth would be the beneficiary and that there would be a double indemnity clause in a case of death by misadventure. So the agent went ahead and fulfilled this request. Ruth intercepted the policy of the mailman, insisting that, like all the other like household bills, she should be the one to whom it was delivered and she would handle the payments and that kind of thing. And Albert, it seems, was never the wiser. So what is misadventure? Misadventure is accidental death caused by a voluntarily taken risk. And double indemnity uh, means that in a certain case, here the accidental death, the beneficiary would get paid double the policy amount. So that $50,000 is actually $100,000 if Albert dies accidentally or in the course of like an act of God. Um, you may recognize this name, Double Indemnity, from the, uh, I think it's a 1940s movie with Barbara Stanwyck based on this case. Sure. So at this point, Albert's worth more dead than alive um, and quite literally. And, uh, you know. Was he really Loman? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a theater joke for y'all. 
Uh, and Ruth, Ruth, you know, continues to maintain her innocence. She begins to say that her, she had initially begun to give testimony to the police saying, yes, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm giving in. I, you know, I had something to do with it. Now she's saying, no, I was coerced. I never meant to say that at all. Um, and even during the trial, her version continues to morph. She claimed she didn't leave the doors open on the night of Albert's death because she wanted Gray to kill Albert. She wanted him to come in so that while Albert was asleep, she could convince Gray not to kill Albert, which is also the world's stupidest, stupidest attempt at covering that up. Um, you know, the trial lasted a while, and over Easter weekend, they both release um, statements to the public. Um, and this is, this is Ruth's. Adam or Christian? Who wants who wants to read? Who wants to read Ruth? You want, you, uh, you're, 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 by all means. Oh, you're, oh, the italicized bit right at okay. the top. But you, but, but you know, oh, I you have to do an access of some sort. This is the, the rules. They can change halfway through. Oh, as they often truly, do. Truly. <laughs> okay. I know Judd Gray as well as any woman knows a man. <laughs> I know him better now than I ever did before. I know that he is a coward, a low, cringing, sneaking jackal, the murderer of my husband, who is now trying to hide behind my skirts to drag me down into the stinking pot that he himself willingly wallowed in. To brand me as a woman who killed her husband? I am a mother. I love my children, and I loved my child's father. God, can you mothers and wives read this and appreciate the terrible, stifling ordeal I'm going through at this time? Easter Sunday, Holy Week. I wish I was home with Albert and Lorraine. Oh, what a tragic difference a few months make. I feel sorry for Mrs. Gray. She is a wife, and her lot must be hard to know that her husband could be sent to the depths that he has, that he is a coward so low and rotten that he seeks to drag himself to safety over the body of a woman he has wronged. I defy Gray to disprove his relations with scores of women. His conscience must be of iron if he has any conscience at all. The woman in his life and he reads the Bible? <laughs> what a fantastic lie. And he reads the Bible? Bible? What a fantastic <laughs> lie. They're all, they're, they're all old Southern ladies. Yes, yes. Thank you, Christian. They're all, they're all damsels. <laughs> um, and so this this is the tone she sets, and this tone sort of goes throughout the trial. The trial is this absolute riotous affair. The newspapers were fascinated. Um, they painted... Ruth as a loose woman um, and I'm sure a large amount of sexism played into this coverage you know they insinuated that she'd had numerous extramarital affairs and had enjoyed this really fancy free lifestyle there were also celebrities that were drawn to the courthouse so David Belasco the Bishop of Broadway oh he attended saying he quote thought it a matter of public duty to attend um, the playwright Maureen Watkins who wrote the play Chicago the year before in 1926 attended and clergymen attended nobility literally nobility the Mar the Marquis and Marchioness, is that how you say it? Of of Queensbury attended. Um, so the defense tried to paint Ruth as innocent, Gray as the mastermind. They tried to suggest Ruth, you know, gave her statement under, you know, duress. Gray's defense sought to prove that Gray's statement was similarly involuntary. Um and, and how they were each going to swindle the other out of the insurance money. The funny thing, too, is that this is a joint trial. They're not being tried independently. Um 
so despite that, um, the trial, oh, this is my other favorite, actually, before I tell you this, just that, you know, during this trial too, you know, Ruth is admitting, yeah, sure, I had some interest in insurance. Yeah, you know, I thought it was a good idea. I never calculated how much Albert would be worth dead, though. Absolutely not. That would that would be insane. And they were able to produce in her handwriting calculations of exactly how much he would be worth dead. Like, it's, it's kind of mind-blowing, the evidence that they left. <laughs> um, so... They're, they're like, they're like, we only have time for the Italian newspaper or to clean up our, our evidence. Italian newspaper. I think the Italian newspaper is more important. It's going to really throw them. Throw really them for a loop. <laughs> we got to drop them. Um, so in the end, the jury was instructed to cast their vote regarding each defendant individually. So essentially, if the jury believed everything Gray said up to a point, but believed Ruth was telling the truth about trying to prevent Gray from murdering Albert, then they would have to acquit Ruth. The jury took three votes. The first was unanimous. Ruth, guilty of murder in the first degree. The second was divided, um, mostly in favor of convicting Gray for first degree murder, but one person abstained and two preferred to convict him on charges of first degree manslaughter. The third vote, again unanimous, first degree murder. Both Ruth and Judd Gray were convicted. Punishment for the crime was execution. Um, They were executed on January 12th, 1928, making Ruth Snyder the first woman to be electrocuted in Sing Sing since 1899. Ruth is today buried in Woodlawn Cemetery in the What year was that again? Said it when she got when she got electrocuted? Nineteen twenty eight. Oh, so before last week's. Right. Two two weeks in a row yep. of, of electric chants at Sing Sing. Yeah. Uh Ruth is buried in Woodlawn Gotta Cemetery. Sing, sing. <laughs> God. Ruth is buried in Woodlawn Cemetery in the Bronx and Judd Gray in Rosedale Cemetery in Montclair, New Jersey. Yeah, New York. And uh, this case inspired a whole lot of uh, novellas and novels, and like I said, double indemnity with Barbara Stanwyck. It, um, the, the the day that that Judd died, would one have have sang? Oh boy, old Judd is dead. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's an Oklahoma reference. But that's uh, that's today's story. And it is very funny, again, because we didn't talk about what our stories were going to be. There are quite a few similarities to last week's. I mean, this one is much more poorly planned. And yeah, last week was, was bonkers, bonkers. Yeah, last week was bonkers, bonkers. But, you know, murderous couples, electrocution, sing, sing, insurance money. Well, there you have it, folks. Um... Two back-to-back medals. Medals. Most foul. Can you say that more Italian, please? A back-to-back medal, most foul. Hey. I says, La Guardia. <laughs> well, thanks. Thanks, Christina, for that episode, for that wonderful little tale. And thanks for being here, Christian. Thanks, Christian. Thanks for having me. It was so much fun. It was so nice to have you in the studio. Um, you know, any of our patrons, if you want to come down to the studio... Come on down. Is this how we get murdered? This, this and this is how we get murdered. Because I invited random people who I don't know to our to our studio. Ooh. Um, no, but uh, thanks so much, Christian, for for your monthly donations. And if you want to be like Christian every month, you head on over to Patreon.com/slash/NIMisterMachine for as little as three dollars a month. You can join our community. We're trying to put some some fun stuff together this year for our patrons. So join that community uh we are back next week with another all new episode number 76 because this is number 75 crazy inching our way to episode 100 insane uh pretty insane 
pretty 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 insane but some really cool stuff coming up in this in this new year uh we we're gonna have some more interviews uh we know that was something that that you guys really appreciated from from early on this season and uh we're also going to be doing another collab with our our cousins in connecticut uh sean carey from made it scary sean carey so stay tuned for that we're just putting that together uh as well and so yeah it's gonna be more fun uh more fun coming on down more crazy voices so Stay with us. Uh, well, I've been Adam Mays. I've been Christina Marnelli. He's been Christian Branch. And uh, thanks for taking a ride on New York Mystery Machine. Tammany Hall, but for ghosts, but for ghosts. <laughs>